Hello, and welcome to Worst Bestsellers, where we read about big desires on Lost Desire Island, so you don't have to. I'm Renata. And I'm Kate. And for this episode, we read Sanctuary by Nora Roberts. Joining us to discuss this 90s romantic thriller are the romance-obsessed Nora superfans, Heidi and Emily, co-hosts of the podcast Romancing the Shelf. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for having us back. Thanks for joining us. Um, And just real quick for listeners who perhaps have not listened to your show or our previous collabs with you, um, Heidi, say hello to everyone. Hello, everyone. And Emily, say hello to everyone. Hello. All right. So now, now you know who's who. And and if you can't handle four women talking on a podcast, you are you're probably a, a weak male who probably likes to make meringues and drink lattes. <laughs> <laughs> and you're in the wrong place. <laughs> and you're in the wrong place for sure. For sure. Um, okay. Nora Roberts month continues. This book, Heidi and Emily suggested it, and I looked it up, and I saw that it had been published in 2007. I was like, oh, nice. That'll probably still be pretty fun. But I was tricked by the, that was like the ebook publication date or something, and it's originally from 1997. So it's a little bit whack due to the 90s. Which makes it fun. <laughs> which makes it fun. Yes. Um, but also with that in mind, uh, content warnings for mm-hmm. murder, sexual assault, very questionable mental health care and discussion of mental health care. Um, some kind of body image stuff that's very 90s, but sort of bummed me out when I was reading it. So if, uh-huh. if you if you think that'll bum you out, be prepared or don't listen. Um. When we were picking episodes for this one, I had thought while well, when the email Renata had started the email and said like, hey, do you guys want to come back? Like, is there one that you're thinking of? We don't really have something in mind. And I thought, like, I do have that one Nora hardback that I haven't read yet. I should suggest that. But then I couldn't remember where I put it, and I didn't remember the title. So I was like, ah, never mind. And then it turns out that that is, in fact, the one that they suggested. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) So it was this very weird kismet. I got it at, um, if you ever drive through Connecticut into Massachusetts or vice versa on route 84 there is a restaurant called Traveler's Cafe I had to look up the name because what is distinctive about it is there is a sign that you can see from the highway that says books and food in all caps and so in my head I just call it books and food (laughs) it sounds like a dream yes (laughs) well it is because it's a diner and if you have a meal there as part of your meal, you can pick a free book from their used bookstore. Wow. It is a dream. Books and food are two of my top favorite things (laughs) in life. So I, as most people who listen to our podcast regularly know, I do most of my reading via audiobook. Same. So I was kind of like browsing around thinking like, okay, well, like I'll take a book, but you know, I don't know. I, I like. I feel like in the end of the day, a book is just going to gather dust on my shelf. And then I saw that there was a Nora Roberts book, and I was like, oh, "I'll just take this. Probably eventually, I'll read this." Um, so it was just like a, a very particular sort of kismet that this ended up being the one that that was chosen without me going to pull it out of the box that it was in to double check to see if if this was in fact the title that I wanted us to read. So. 
Kate, you're saying kismet, but what I'm hearing is the secret TMTM. Yes, of course. The secret. The secret <laughs> works. It was a secret the whole time. I did, though, listen to the audio uh, when I was reading it. And unfortunately, the audio, I think, was also created in 1997. <laughs> and the audiobook reader did put on this terrible, heavy Southern accent for Joe Ellen and Lexi in particular. And it was excruciating to listen to. Wow. Yeah. I don't think I would enjoy that. I struggle with a lot of the Nora, like, I've listened to very few Nora audiobooks. And I think that's because when I was reading them originally, it was like before I was super into audiobooks. So I was super into the print. And that's how I read them. And to go back and listen to them now, I'm like, oh, no, this is not how I imagined their voice. (laughs) And I've not read a Nora audiobook where I was like, this is the narrator. Um, not that narrators don't do an amazing job. I'm sure they do. It's just not how, you know, like you have a voice in your head and that's not it. Yeah. Yeah. I generally like, um, there's a couple audiobook narrators. I mean, like I said, I do most of them by audio. So there's not really time for me to have a voice in my head for the characters. <laughs> um, and there's a couple people in her newer books, like January Lavoie does a bunch of her newer books mm-hmm. and um, someone else who I can't remember who I really like. So generally, like for me personally, as an audiobook reader, they're a home run. So I was just like, ah, yeah, Nora audios are usually pretty good. Then this one was not, it was not good. It was bad. I would go so far as to say it was bad. Oh, no. I want to ask, who is your favorite? Do you have a favorite audiobook narrator, regardless of like genre or who, whatever? Do you have somebody that you just like go to listen? So uh, January Lavoie is someone who I will search to like listen just to her because I think she's so good. And my brain is blanking on my other favorite audiobook narrator. So I'm looking it up right now. Oh, it was Bonnie Turpin is my other favorite audiobook mm. narrator. Bonnie Turpin is my fave. I love Bonnie Turpin. And then I also enjoy Jane Entwistle. Uh, she's British. So she does like uh, – and most of the stuff that I've heard her do has been like middle grade stuff. So like The War That Saved My Life, The War I Finally Won. Oh, okay. Um, she does incredible. those and she's wonderful. Yes. All right. Yeah. I Because I listened to both of those on audio and I liked her very much. So yeah. Jane Entwistle. She's wonderful. But Bonnie Turpin. I love Bonnie Turpin. So good. Yeah, I I don't listen to a lot of audiobooks because that's harder for me to to follow usually. Mm-hmm. I do Bonnie Turpin, I remember that name. Is January Lavoie who did the Diviners books? Yes. Ooh. Yes. Yes. Okay. Those yes. are on my two listen to to read book this year. So I'm obsessed with the Diviner series. They're so good. And I did I listened to the first one on audio because I, it happened to be for like a road trip, which is the only time I really like audiobooks. And then I I liked her narration so much that I made a point to listen to the other ones in audio. And it's she's very good. Yeah. And the books are incredible. But we're not here to talk about the diviners, even though I always want to be talking about the diviners (laughs) a little bit, 10%. I always just want to be talking about Libba Bray's diviner series. But we're here to talk about Sanctuary by Nora Roberts. And I will say this was a bit of a rough one for me, especially coming after Nightwork, which I liked so much. And this one, it's still still Nora Roberts, so I didn't hate it, but... It it really is so 90s, and it's more murdery than I usually like <laughs> in a book. I, I feel murdery. like this one, 
This book, so it was released in 1997. Nora released her first in-death book as J.D. Robb in what, like 1994, 1995? Mm. So I feel like she was like in that in-death headspace. And so her romantic, her like standalone romantic suspense stories were very death-like in the late 90s. In her her brutal era. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that's why we get some very, there's a very descriptive murder scene in this one, like- that feels, I think, out of place for Anora in a way, because she typically doesn't go that far, I don't think. I remember when we read it again for our podcast and talked about it, I think about two years ago, Heidi. I think it was like in April of 22 when we did oh. our Sanctuary episode. It felt so out of place with all the other Noras that we had been reading at that time. And I think it's because she was in that in-death headspace, kind of. That makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. Yeah, it was like as I was reading this one, I, again, as listeners to this podcast know, I'm, that's not how I'm going to phrase this. I <laughs> enjoy reading some crime thrillers. Mm-hmm, I was going to mm-hmm. say I was pro-murder, but I'm not. <laughs> um, Pro-fictional murder. Yes. And as I was like listening to this one, I was like, this is, this is not, this one's not going to be Renata's cup of tea between that. And there are also some like more descriptive sexual assault scenes than yeah I, re- yeah. I yeah, feel like it's typical yeah it was it was gritty but not like the fun orange gritty that i do like <sighs> yeah i do think upon this reread again um this one was definitely giving me uh like i would kind of put it in the same camp as um come sundown which is another more like modern nora i think it came out in like 20 mm, the 20 13 14 years yeah, yeah. And we haven't covered that one on our podcast yet because I have never reread that one after I read it the first time. Didn't like it. It was too violent for me. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like this one has kind of like tipped over into that for me as well. I literally just Googled it and I'm like, I will put a hold on this one. Oh, there's no audio. I have to buy it if I want to do audio. Come I think on. It's easy. When I'm reading a Nora, I have a, a certain type of expectation of what I want. And because I read, I read a lot of true crime. I read a lot of like murder mystery type of stuff. But when I'm reading a Nora, I have a different expectation. And those, when you're looking at Nora's work as a whole, I feel like those ones are definite um, like tonal shifts for me. Come Sundown, Sanctuary, Divine Evil, which we talked about with you guys a couple years ago. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which I also didn't love. Yeah. I don't know why we tend to do the more like <laughs> dark, murdery ones when we're like, Renata sends out that email and we're like, what can we traumatize her with? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do feel like I think last year, um, which it ended up working out anyway, after we um, recorded our other Nora episode from last year with our other Nora expert, Christine. Through That one was a, a very cop-heavy one, and we had to turn out like, oh, well, like, next year we'll read, like, a really fluffy romance one, which Nightwork was not, but it did end up slapping anyway, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, fortunately, I, for- I forgot that that vow had been made, and so I'm... <laughs> but yeah, I love Nightwork, and as, as I discussed two weeks ago, I do love books about about criminals who don't do murder. So that was great. I love that guy. Um, but let's talk about these guys. There's three There's three couples in this story, which is a lot. Three and a <laughs> half, really, if you count. Cousin Kate and the dad, Sam. But we'll get the, into it. The dropped love story. Yeah. Yes. Story. And by the way, and I had to flip back because I was like, are Cousin Kate and the dad, like, 
in love. And I was like, is Cousin Kate the dad's cousin? And Cousin, <laughs> cousin Kate is the That's mom. why they had to drop it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because it was confusing. Because they continually call her Cousin Kate, like, instead of, like, Aunt Kate or whatever, like, that's her title, Cousin Kate. She's the mom's cousin, so she's not related to the dad by blood. So they're, they're you know, free to do whatever. Um, but they don't. Because Sam's a horrible human being. Yeah. I don't know yeah. why she's been in love with him for 20 years. Because he's 20 years. He's not the best. I, I will say they are constantly talking about how there's no single men on Lost Desire Island, which is maybe is why it's called Lost Desire Island. I don't know. So maybe she's just It's like Slim Pickens. Yeah. Okay. I I guess I I still Kate deserves more. Kate absolutely deserves yeah. more. Sorry, I'm having a little bit of dissonance. Yeah, I'm yes. so sorry. Oh, um, <laughs> and it's the books. The book is Kate K A T E, so it's a totally different person from K A I T. Correct. So when I'm reading it, I'm like, this is totally different. And then when I'm saying, it, I'm like, oh, it does sound the same though. Mm-hmm. It sounds yeah, exactly the same. Anyway, cousin Kate, not podcaster Kate. Yes. Is- <laughs> Okay. Uh, so Pastor Kate also deserves wonderful things, though. Thank yes. you. Yes. Um. So our sort of kind of a couple versus B versus C couple um is Joe Ellen and Nathan, and Joe Ellen is a photographer who, when the book opens, is having a little bit of a breakdown. She's been very <laughs> anxious. She's had a stalker. And she opens a sheath of photos that have come in the mail while she is talking to her intern and discovers that they are stalker photos of her. And also among them is a photo of her dead mother and her mother disappeared like 20 years beforehand. And in according to sort of like local belief and family belief, like basically ran off to make a better life for herself and abandoned her wife and three kids or her husband and three kids. (laughs) They think that she ran off with a lover. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Even though there was no evidence that she had a lover and she, before that, had seemed like the epitome of, like, a family, like, dedicated mom who had brought back her, like, spouse from the mainland to live on her family's property. And then she was like, ah, never mind. Yeah. I am curious of how much of those excuses are also, like, of their time in the 90s. I was just going to say 1997 was before hashtag believe women in 1997. You did not legally have to believe a woman <laughs> <laughs> legally not required that. And also like while true crime has always been very mainstream, I feel like in the past like decade or two, there's been much more of a like terrible things happen to women all the time and cops, don't pursue it kind of idea as opposed to like ah those fickle women who maybe run off and do things it's so weird to like as you explain like the actual plot point it's like oh this was made of like wet paper towels yes well i was just like nora roberts i feel like has mommy issues like mothers are constantly abandoning their children in her books uh where i was like did this happen to nora and i guess not she's like her I looked it up because I was like, why is Nora so obsessed with moms leaving their family? Um, and her her father was an electrician and her mother was a stay-at-home mom who didn't, did not abandon her family. I mean, in, I guess, I don't know if defense is the right word, but she does also frequently have fathers leaving. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> she also frequently has dad dads who murder. Dads yeah. Who murder, for sure. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of dad murderers, a lot of dad serial killers. 
um, which from like everything I've ever seen, like her dad doesn't seem like a serial killer, but I mean, that's true. I don't question it when fictional men do bad things though. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Joe Ellen sees this photograph of her dead mother and like loses her mind and like basically literally like has a full like menti b yeah she has like a panic attack she freaks out she is brought to the hospital she is spent some time like inpatient at a mental health hospital and afterwards decides to go back to the island where she grew up and the inn where she grew up which is little desire island and the sanctuary inn or bed and breakfast i can't remember what i think it's. part of it is that she like uh, she gets out of the hospital and she goes back to the studio and all of the pictures from that, they're all there. And so she starts like going through them and the picture of her mother is gone. Yeah. Right? And that, yeah. So that she's really like questioning herself of like, did I see it? Did I not see it? And it sets up this whole unreliable narrator. Like we're so much in Joe's head and Joe doesn't trust herself. And so we can't trust Joe either, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so she ends up back on this island where she grew up. She left two years ago, which seems like basically no time at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but everyone treats her like the devil for having left and not come back for two years. And it's like she's been gone for a decade. <laughs> Yeah. And there's like her family is very cold to her, particularly or her father and her younger sister are both very bitter that she left and was successful and now is coming back for seemingly no reason. And she's still trying to she's lying about why she came back. She's not telling them about the stalker. She's not telling them about her stay in the hospital or anything that's happened to her. For whatever reason, she has decided to keep her stalker to herself and keep what she thought she saw in the photos to herself. But she's going to spend some time putting together a photo book that she has been commissioned to do and taking photos on the island and helping out at the inn. And while doing that, she meets Nathan, who she remembers from her childhood when he spent one summer on the island and Mm -hmm. He and he his brother. For sure. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and it was a pivotal moment for her. And like, because that summer, I think, is kind of like cemented in her mind because at the end of that summer, her mom left. Yeah. And she learned how to take pictures that summer. Yes. yes. And yes. Nathan pushed her in the river. <laughs> yeah. Out, out of all of those things, the Nathan pushing her in the river definitely stuck in her mind the most. Yeah. That yes. was the most Three items mind. of equal import. <laughs> Yeah, Nathan's father was a professional photographer who let her kind of like tag along and shadow him. And that really like sparked her interest in photography. Mr. David was a wonderful mentor to her for that summer. And we learn as we switch to Nathan's POV that his parents have recently died. Mm -hmm. And his brother has also recently died, question mark. Well, you're you're putting the question mark in too soon. Nathan thinks his brother died, period. Yes. His brother's name is Kyle, and that always seems sus to me. <laughs> yeah, name one Can't good Kyle. Kyle. <laughs> Kyle Delaney, no thanks. Uh, so he's he's come back to this island for also vaguely mysterious reasons. He's an architect, and he can work remotely, and is going to do that for at least the next six months while he tries to chase 
this like vague wishy-washy word salad of reasons why he has come back to this island to sort of reconnect with who he was that summer for reasons. <laughs> Which as we're like un- unraveling this, I'm like, oh yeah, this is like obviously suspicious. But at the time I was just like, fuck yeah. Like why wouldn't you just go like work on an island for six months? Like I didn't, <laughs> I, I didn't question any of this at all. I was like, that sounds great. Well, and <laughs> Good for you. his family, like, he's the only one left of his family of four. How tragic. But also, like, Nora gave all of her people these awesome remote jobs in the 90s that, like, where are these awesome remote jobs now? Like, what? Mm-hmm. 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 Ugh, capitalism. <laughs> um, but yeah, specifically, like, the cabin he rented is the same one his family spent in that summer. And... It was like one of their, you know, happiest family memories. So I, I was like, yeah, sure, he's here. Also on the island currently are Joe Ellen's younger sister Lexi, who I already mentioned, who had gone to New York to try to be an actress and then had come back to Sanctuary and Little Desire Island. It's by the way, it's sorry, it's Lost Desire Island, which Lost is not even more on the nose. His <laughs> cabin is named Little Desire Cabin. Okay. Mm. It, the names are just a little too spot on. Correct. Like when we get to yeah. the end and we can talk about like the naming of all of these things is so ugh, ugh. Um I oh gosh, where were we? I'm so sorry. Lexi. Oh. Lexi's flop era. And she thinks that Joellen came back just because she's like she heard that Lexi was like Lexi was coming back kind of with her tail between her legs, having failed as an actress. And Joellen is showing up just to rub her face in it and be like, "I'm such a successful photographer, and you're a waitress." And it's like <laughs> no one's thinking about you that much, Lexi. I'm so Lexi, sorry. <laughs> Lexi is very much a girly girl, like very into makeup and clothes and hair. And Joellen, because she looks so much like her mother, has always avoided those things so that she could avoid, I guess, looking more like her mother. Yeah, when like she looks in the mirror and she sees her mom and she's like, ugh, grief. Because she thinks her mom left the family. And then also she, I mean, all three of these kids are so desperate for parental love. And the only parent she has to give her love at this point is her dad. And she can see, like, when her dad looks at her, that he sees Annabelle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's so much, like, guilt and all of these icky feelings wrapped up in that for her, and which totally sucks. Like, I feel like a parent's main job is to try to, like, not put their hangups on their kids. And Sam, as he has with everything else in this book, fails. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we've got Lexi, we've got Lexi's eventual bow gif. I hate his <laughs> yeah. name. It doesn't seem like a real yeah. name, right? Like it's, well, here's the thing. When I was listening to the audiobook, I was totally accepted it as gif. And then the second Renata made the gif joke. Now in my head, I am like, I'm going to say the wrong one. I'm going to say <laughs> the wrong one. Gif. Who is G I F F, which I have heard as kind of maybe like a more southern name. I think maybe short for like Gifford or something mm. like that. Gif. Yeah. <laughs> so so Gif is an island resident resident who works as a handyman and sort of like jack of all trades for the inn and sort the of a gif of all properties. trades. <laughs> He also has a magical eye for architecture. He's never had proper schooling about it. He's a savant. Yes. (laughs) 
he's always dreamed of it and when he talks to nathan about like his visions for like a project he's working on nathan's like oh yeah you did it almost exactly like i would do it without having to go to have a master's degree and be in school loan debt way to go gif yeah (laughs) and gif has been in love with lexi since they were little kids but is waiting for her to be ready to be in a relationship yeah lexi is a sex positive feminist uh slash slut yes (laughs) and then our other couple are kirby who also used to play with the siblings as a kid because her grandmother lived on the island and she would spend summers there but her grandmother has recently died and kirby is a doctor so she has decided to become the island doctor and moved into her grandmother's cabin and has moved her practice to this island and has always had sort of a crush on Brian, Lexi and Joellen's older brother, who is the chef and it seems like sort of general manager-ish of Sanctuary. And he's like an excellent cook. And they really- have like a five-star restaurant at this inn. Yes. I don't – did he ever – did they ever say, did he go away somewhere to be like trained or is he also an untrained five-star chef? I think he's, he's an untrained – yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. And Sam Hathaway, the dad, is like in a gay panic about the fact that his <laughs> son likes to cook. <laughs> um, hang on, I pulled a quote that made me laugh. If they'd been the type to discuss such matters openly, Brian would have told him that he could enjoy creating a perfect meringue and still prefer women for sex. He simply <laughs> wasn't inclined toward intimacy. But they don't talk about it. So his dad is just kind of like, oh, I've got like a gay baker son, I guess. <laughs> i'm sorry but what sam like he just goes around and looks at rocks i guess because it's rocks it's manly but like (laughs) dude you're not really a provider either like what is your what's your role here sir just a judge that's what he does yeah to not understand his children so Nora often writes where um especially in her romantic suspense stuff where the um all of the main characters had connections to each other as kids. And then she brings them all back. We set a stage with all of our familiar characters, but only as grownups and more baggage now. And that's mm-hmm. what she does in this book. Obviously, um, Nathan was there for this pivotal summer for all the Hathaway kids. Kirby was not there that same summer, which I thought was interesting. She became friends with Joe for the summers that she would come and visit her grandmother, but only post Annabelle leaving. So Nathan mm. had never come back to the island after that. Annabelle was gone. The Hathaway family was fractured and Kirby meets emotionally compromised and neglected Joellen and becomes yes. friends with her. That's also how she meets Brian. Brian is now emotionally compromised and hates all women. He's mm-hmm. the grumpy guest of the island. Well, yes. and Sam too. Sam's like the quiet grumpy guest. So these are all of our main, oh, well, I guess our other players are Sam, the dad who we already described, and then cousin Kate, who we mentioned, who was the cousin of Annabelle, their mother, who sort of moved to the inn and helped take care of the kids after Annabelle disappeared, and thinks of them as like her own children, and helped raise them and is still on the island and is like pining away for Sam. Why? Why? Like milquetoast, boring... (laughs) terrible bad dad bad dad <laughs> yeah i have to say like it, it if kate wasn't so nice this is very like a single white female situation just like like <laughs> take out annabelle just move right into her spot sure oh that, could that would be a more interesting book. book yeah like 
Kyle. Wait, talk about milk toast. Like all of these dudes. Come on. The ladies definitely shine in this book, I think. Yeah. There's one more important character, which is Ginny. They're oh. indispensable fourth best friend who they forget about constantly, but also <laughs> is a great, great friend, a great person who works as the campground manager because there's also a campground on the island. That is owned by the Hathaways as well. Yes. yes. Yeah. So Annabelle, she's from the island. Her family owned the inn and the land, like most of the island. Then she marries Sam. And within one generation, it's all the Hathaway stuff. Like there's no more of Annabelle's family on the island besides the Hathaways, which was so strange to me that like it changed so quickly. And everyone's like, yeah, the Hathaways, they've been here for less than a generation. (laughs) If you just erased all that history, that does not sound very Southern to me. We know those people. They hang on to their history like, whoa. Yeah, and I will say this book, there's Brian like reflects on the history of the sanctuary and the island, and he briefly reflects on slavery and then moves on. And I was kind of like, well, I'm not saying that I want this book to like really like investigate the legacy of slavery. So I guess it's better than what was the one with the Confederate flag? That one is Carnal Innocence. Yeah. Where like they are flying Confederate flag outside of their old plantation house as heritage. Yeah. And the crazy aunt wears Confederate flag pants on the 4th of July. Like, yes. yes. Yeah. No, we're not doing that, which is great. Oh, some of my other notes from the early one is he's like, he knew the history of his home that once cotton and indigo had been grown there, worked by slaves. Fortunes had been reaped by his ancestors. The rich had come to play in this isolated little paradise, hunting the deer and the feral hogs, gathering shells, fishing both river and surf. Um, so, like, for, I, like, I love that she's like, mm, yeah, they got rich off slaves, but now these are just good working class people. <laughs> uh, and also, like, I now cannot hear feral hogs without thinking of 30 to 50 <laughs> feral hogs. Uh, also she had to think of like a list of things for them to do and gathering shells made the cut of like <laughs> rich people hobbies or, sure 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 um, what else are rich people gonna do like yeah. gather shells yeah mm-hmm. so in the mix with all of our you know delightful characters is a mysterious evil occasional narrator who is we figure out very quickly the person who is stalking Joellen and who murdered her mother and is in the shadows and has followed Joe to the island and is now on the island with everyone else mingling amongst them and ready to fulfill his final, like, perfect artistic image, which is to murder Joe in a manner similar to the way that her mother was murdered. It's a real gross creep POV. I really hated those parts because he's like my my perfect project. And just like the way that he talks about dead women and their body. Like it's it's gross. I did see in your notes that you put like, I don't love the mystery killer POV. And I want to ask like just specifically for this book or do you like it in other books? Um, well, specifically, I really didn't like this one because he's so gross. Mm-hmm. It, well, in general, I don't, I don't like to read about killers, so mm-hmm. is is a fun thing about me. Because um, <laughs> I know there's been in other Nora books, which maybe is the most I ever read about murders on purpose. 
Yeah, and you put, I love trying to guess the Nora killer. And that's another thing about the way I interact with mysteries is I I simply am never trying to solve it. I'm just like, that's not my business. That's not my business. Oh my goodness. <laughs> like the whole time I was just like, oh, this fucking guy. And then we get to the reveal and I was like, huh. <laughs> I feel like at least part of every day of my life, I am trying to channel Velma from Scooby-Doo to solve whatever mystery I have like come across. Sometimes it's like the mystery of where I left my car keys. And sometimes it's like, you know, like a book or a show I'm watching. And I have to say, I like am super good at guessing Ooh. like killers in like TVs and or TV show TVs <laughs> um, in TV shows and um I, I've gotten really good at it, and it's something that I super love to do. Heidi and I try to cut like we keep track of like when in a story we start to suspect the killer, and it's kind of a competition. We're both winning because mm. we're awesome, but you know. yeah, I I also like as as a person who does watch a lot of mystery type shows, read a lot of more mystery or like horror suspense type things, and consume a lot of of true crime media i also am a i'm gonna know who the killer is before it's revealed sort of person uh so i feel you on that (laughs) did you did you all guess who the murderer was before it was revealed yeah i mean it seemed i mean the way he's like my parents got hit by a train but my brother fell off a boat and you're like oh that looks that sounds sus i don't know (laughs) Yeah, I, it wasn't, it was the way that he initially was like talking very vaguely about both his parents and his brother's death. And then when it became clear, like, oh, yeah, like my parents are dead and buried. And it's revealed that he knew, he knows his father is dead. And he knows his father murdered Annabelle. I was like, oh, the brother, the brother's not dead. Mm. Especially early on, he makes a comment about his brother taking up his father's photography but not being as good at it and then when she starts talking about how the photography is not as good as you would expect i was like yeah that's the brother i remember i have like really good recall of books i think because i usually read them in like one setting so they like play kind of like a movie in my mind so once i've read a book i usually have really good recall um when we reread this book for our show a couple years ago I realized like we I had never read it before, but as soon as it started, I was like, oh, yep, this is it. So it's not really a surprise to me. So I have to start looking for like other parts of the story to um, kind of like pick apart. So I remembered. I don't think but I think it really surprised me the it. first time I read it. No, I was like in middle school. Oh, OK. So no. <laughs> I was a little like little Bambi eyed person who was like, these people are really unhappy. And I don't think I like that story. Yeah. <laughs> they were too complex for little Emily. But um yeah. adult Emily really enjoys them and their complexities. Okay. Uh yeah, I didn't I didn't even think about it. I was <laughs> just like <laughs> and by the way, we've been throwing around pronouns. I guess we might as well just say Nathan's brother is the stalker and Nathan's <laughs> father was the original killer and yeah. photographer of Annabelle's corpse. Yeah, when he said his brother fell off a boat, I was like, damn, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I had to be instantly suspicious, too, of Mr. David, because Emily and I realized through this reread that in the 90s, there's like three Davids that are killers. And so I'm pretty sure 
Nora has like some ex-boyfriend named David and she's just written him now into like every story and he's He's always a killer. And usually he's a type of killer who um, is able to blend in so well. Like they play the long game. Like Mm -hmm. another um, example would be like River's End where he lived alongside the the child of his victim for years and like decades, helped raise this person. And in this book, Mr. David spends that whole summer being a mentor to Joe. And and when Nathan kind of reveals like his father had kept this journal, he and his brother had found it and read it after his parents' death. And the man had like laid out exactly like his plan beforehand, like when they get to the island and he meets Annabelle and he becomes obsessed with her and he has this plan and he like drugs his wife that night. So she's out of the way. He goes and does his plan. And then he like goes back and becomes a, like an awesome family man. He helps with the search. He goes on, like they go back to the mainland and back to their lives. And he is just- For 20 years, just totally for- living his living his life, being a dad. And he's a, like, Nathan tells Joe at what, like eventually, like way towards the end of the book when he reveals all of this to her. Um, he's like, he, my dad was great. He was always there. He was the one who taught me to do all this stuff. He was a completely present, wonderful father and husband. Who was also a man who murdered somebody, mm-hmm. and he I, he only murdered just her, right? Well, that we know, I guess. I mean, maybe he had other journals, but uh, so far that's all we know. <laughs> well, she was like his perfect, like yeah, bill or whatever. Um, let let's just kind of okay. So most of the book is like these are core three couples of Nathan and Joe, Lexi and Gif, and um. Brian and Kirby like circling each other and like flirting and having dumb little fights where in this era, Nora is throwing around words like alpha male and female a lot where it was like, am I reading a Sarah J Mass book? Like what are we doing here? <laughs> but everybody's like, oh, classic female behavior. They just like want your attention and like classic male behavior. They don't want to talk about their feelings. And so they're doing a lot of that. They're having these like small little, little like bonfires and gatherings and well they uh, have so they interactions. have a, a big bonfire where they invite everyone on the island like all of the locals everyone from the campground everyone staying at the inn and that is a big night for like all of our couples mm-hmm. yeah but before that they've had like a small fires so. yeah they had like a couple like little gatherings like mostly like girls nights kind of together and this is like a big deal yeah and that's kind of like a halfway point of the book yes and so while all of the couples are off like starting to move towards official coupledom Ginny goes off with a mysterious person anyway, remember Ginny their indispensable best friend who is constantly being left out of the narrative that's her <laughs> that, Ginny-, Ginny is um is Lexi's best friend right they're kind of a, a, the same age um yeah. early 20s uh, early to mid 20s and um but it's Lexi is like such a fair weather friend in so many cases mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. she, you know, left the island and went off to pursue her acting career and then comes back and just picks right back up with Jenny. And I mean, she just takes such takes her for so much granted, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. So Jenny, Jenny goes off with this guy, and then the next day, everyone is a little disgruntled because Jenny never came to work and she never called out from work. So everyone's morning is kind of disrupted because A, they're all hungover and B they now need to switch up how they are doing tasks because people have to go out to the campground to 
uh, open the campground for Ginny because she's not there. And people look for her and no one can find her. And a couple days pass because at first they're like, oh, she's just sleeping over her hangover. But time goes on and they call the cops. And sort of the assumption is that without telling anyone or packing up her belongings, she went off to the mainland and is on like a wild adventure without telling anyone. And most people just seem to accept this. Yeah, everyone's just yeah. getting like super triggered. Like, oh my gosh, Jenny's just like my mom. Yeah. <laughs> and she is, it's not like she's like alone on this island. Gif is her cousin. Like her mm-hmm. family is from here. Yeah. And they mm-hmm. all, and in his mind, a couple of times he does think he's like, that's not like her to just like not show up for work. Like, yeah, she's carefree and she loves a good time, but she's also responsible. Except yeah. not now. Now she's just like gone off to the mainland without telling anyone. Yeah. Um, and we, the reader, we know that, that Ginny's been murdered because we heard all about it from the killer in his mystery POV. Oh, also shortly before this, here's a, here's a fun fact about Ginny and the island is that Kirby's the only doctor on the island. And so everyone sees her and she does everything. She's family practice, but she's also a gynecologist, I guess. So Ginny gets a gynecological exam from her friend Kirby, which I don't know, man. I don't want like I love my friends. I don't want them in there. Yeah, I have That's- to say this. This sounds terrible, but Nora actually, to me, has a one up of this in the book. Um, Angels is it Angels Fall, where and it's a very small town, and there's one like old male doctor who like goes to the heroine's place of business all the time and he does her gynecological exam and i was like i just go another town girl like yeah no we got cars for a reason and it's so that we can travel away so that someone can examine our business and then we can go back to business yes i don't know Maybe, maybe it's my gayness like not that weird to me. The old man would be weird. I would go to a different town to do that because <laughs> that I would not be cool with. But like if one of my friends was a gynecologist or a regular like internal medicine doctor and was like, I could do your pap smear for you, I would be like, yeah, that's better than a stranger. <laughs> no. I, I get no. that. And I also think Kirby is like totes professional about it. You know, she is really You can't say that about the old man though too, Emily. No, no, no. very on board with it. I, no. <laughs> I remember Angel's Hall, I was going to say, he keeps coming into her place of business and saying veiled things about her health in front, like in public. I'm like, dude, hippo, like keep it to yourself. Yeah. Like, no, he was all about talking about her, her health business at her place of work where everyone was like listening. Kirby is just like, yeah, when you come to my office, you're my patient and I'm your doctor. And then when we're out of the office, we're friends. And I believe that you'll run off without notifying anyone at the drop of a hat. Yeah. Yes. And I, okay. I will say to my like regular internal medicine doctor and the nurse practitioners have done um, pelvic exams for me before. So it's not weird to me that she would be like a regular family medicine, internal medicine type doctor who knows how to do a pelvic. Okay. It's just well, convenient. You know, one appointment, true. get it all done. I guess, girl. <laughs> anyway, like moving yeah. on. The other thing I want to talk about is that at her appointment, Kirby weighs Ginny, oh. and Ginny weighs one hundred and forty-two pounds. Mm-hmm. And Kirby's like, "Ooh, like I'm your friend, but you gotta lose some weight." And Ginny's like, "Do you think I should get liposuction?" And Kirby's what? like, "Nah, yeah." She's, she calls it lipo. Like, she's casual about it, but she's like, what about what do you think about lipo? And Kirby's like, nah, just like work out more. And, and Ginny's like, ugh, okay. Gross. She's 142 pounds. And then when the killer is is 
raping her he's like her body was lusher than he preferred and then like then he's like my next victim will be like more thin and beautiful and like this woman is not like first of all like i don't know i think there's been some kind of like discourse uh sort of recently in you know book twitter and romance landia about like why are we putting a specific number on a person's weight? Because, you know, it looks different on anybody and like muscles and height and like blah, blah, blah. But like, objectively, if you're 142 pounds, you simply cannot be that fat. Like, it it honestly, I think depends on your height and so many other factors that go into it, which is something that we know now in 2024 that was not talked about in the nineties. And I, I think also we talk about, like Jenny goes to the doctor, 142 pounds, and she's fat. Every other time that Kirby is doing a exam on a woman, which is usually Joe, and Joe is like super underweight because of her anxiety and all the stuff that's going on. That they they talk a lot about like her not being very healthy. So well, it's like let me let me read this health. quote actually. She Kirby tells Joe, you're a tad underweight too, which makes the female in me green with envy and a sensible physician cluck her tongue. Ugh. Like <laughs> no. Unhealthy. Yeah. But I feel like I remember in like the nineties, it seemed like no matter your like your height, your muscle mass, anything, it was like all women should weigh 110 pounds. Like it yep. was it was mm-hmm. like the number of like of I mean, it was just insanity. Everyone should weigh as much as a Wakefield twin and be a perfect size four. Anyway. Um, yeah. And this is like of the nineties. It's whatever. Um, but it really like, I found that it was like really grinding me down as I read it. And I like, I'm someone who like is a fat woman, but I'm generally sort of like, if not body positive, like body neutral, like it's fine. It's whatever. But I was like, damn, like these, Oh, oh, also, there's a part where Bobby is like, wor- Bobby Joe's intern is worried about how like thin she is now she's not eating, and he's like, "You, you have such thin bones, you're gonna get osteoporosis," which a is a weird thing for a college student to say, and then b it just made me think of Jack's girlfriend in Thirty Rock who had hollow bones. Uh, she had avian bone syndrome, and she's <laughs> like, she's like, I can't. Like, I can't lift that object because I have hollow bones. And I just was like, oh, Joe has avian bone syndrome. <laughs> it also also continues the streak of Nora not being good at writing college age characters. You, uh, you know what? So true. <laughs> great, at, great at writing dialogue, great at children, great at adults. College students are a weird void for her. I, she doesn't know what's happening there. He's going to head back to his apartment after his internship and get some prime eats with his cool bro roommates. <laughs> He's like, hey, have you tried Boniva? It's a great, like, prime eat. <laughs> <laughs> have some Activia. Prime eat, so. Uh, okay, yeah. so anyway, that's, I wanted to, like, spit there as much plot as possible so I could nitpick some weird shit in this book. Yeah. But now there's more plot. I do think that you noted, like, Nora loves a woman who is too thin and needs to be aggressively fed by a man. Yes. And I think we've we've seen this in other romance novels, too. And I think there is some sort of, like, kind of fantasy, especially in this, like, world that we live in that's so weird about bodies and women and whatever, to have this fantasy of, like, wow, like, somebody would feed me and, like, think that I need to eat more food and, like this act of being food would be applauded instead of shamed. Like, wouldn't that be cool? Unfortunately, you must weigh like a hundred pounds for that to apply to you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, and again, like I am 
I am not a typical woman of the 90s who would be reading this. It's just the idea that someone would be like, yes, I'll take over coming up with what we're going to eat every day and then making it. That is my ultimate fantasy. <laughs> to not have to worry about what you're having for dinner. To not have to else, like present it to you. Oof. Yes. What I'm having for literally any meal. To have to never have to make that decision, to never have to do all the mental math of like, how do I get groceries? How do I, I have to get a recipe? I have to get like all those steps. Like my little ADHD brain would just love it if someone came in and was like, We're having this for dinner. <laughs> like, yeah. That is a dream, but also like to periodically check in and be like, Do you want to do this? Be like, Well, thank you for asking, but no. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you for checking in with me. <laughs> Um, yeah, so G- Ginny's missing. Everyone's like not as worried as they we should be. We forgot about Ginny, didn't we? Yeah, we did, just like the characters <laughs> in this novel. That's the thing about her. She's she's so fat, you forget she's there. <laughs> <laughs> she's so important, except when we're busy with other stuff. And as time is going on, there is like all of the women have these moments where they feel like someone's watching them or they feel like there's someone on the island who they like they hear a noise or they they feel unsettled and then you get like a killer pov paragraph where he's like when the women could sense they were being watched it made him feel horny yeah he definitely is like stepping up some he's playing with this kind of like psychological torture of joe in a way because he is watching her he does take some opportunities when she's like alone and I guess vulnerable to go up and like there's a point where when they're having like the girls campfire night uh, Joe and Kirby go off to an outhouse together and Joe is waiting outside guarding the door in the dark and this man walks up to her and is holding a light in a way where she can't see anything like he's blinding her with it and whispering but not whispering anything threatening it's just the whole situation she gets locked in a bathroom at some point mm-hmm. yeah. and all of these things are just like playing with her mind constantly um so all all of this is happening joe eventually tells brian literally like forces joe picks joe up and drags her bodily to kirby's to have an exam done because he can tell there's something wrong with her so she confides in kirby about her mental health issues and kirby's like okay like you need to tell your family but also there's nothing wrong with you like just chill out I'm going to read this too, actually. So this is Joe is because it's the 90s and we haven't like begun to address any kind of mental health stigma. She's like, you know, I was hospitalized, but I never filled any prescriptions. Quote, I don't want drugs and I don't want to talk to a shrink. Like Joe absolutely does not want any help for her mental health. And so Kirby prescribes fresh air, rest, regular meals and some good, safe sex if you can get it. That's not how you treat mental health. I mean, ugh. I mean, those are good. Those are good things, but yeah. for any person, I feel like whether you're healthy yeah. or unhealthy, you should be striving to get these things on a daily basis. If you want them, you don't have to have sex daily if you don't want it. But you know, um, you do have to have fresh air daily. But you need fresh air and rest and regular <laughs> meals every day. Here's the thing, though. I one thousand a million percent agree i do feel like kirby though is ahead of her time because that i feel like a lot of doctors is still what they will tell you if you're like i'm having mental health issues oh well like just take a walk every day and make sure you're getting enough sleep and drink a lot of water and cut back on coffee and you'll be fine so her addition of good sex makes her a better doctor than others (laughs) yeah yeah good safe sex she put that qualifier in there 
Yeah, like as as I was listening to that part, I was like, this is bad advice, but also it is literally the exact same advice that a lot of doctors would give right now. And I yes. hate that. Yeah. The only the only way it could be more of its time is if she was like, do some yoga about it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I just want to throw out a couple more fun 90s things. One is at Sanctuary when uh, the dad, Sam, is complaining. Brian is like, our cappuccino and lattes are very popular. And quote, Sam knew what a cappuccino was right enough or was mostly sure, but lattes baffled him. And like, I feel like a latte is simpler than a cappuccino, first of all, but that's very 90s. Like, oh, these fancy coffee drinks. I just like black coffee. Oh, another quote from Sam is fancy names for fancy drinks when all the man wants is a cup of black coffee. Okay. And then uh, also in that same chapter, Brian asks Nathan, you know computers? And Nathan says, I'm the proud owner of three. Why? <laughs> and Brian says, you're now manning the cash register. <laughs> and then also, all the children on the island have a chicken pox outbreak because the vaccine hadn't been invented yet. And then also, some random guy on vacation comes in to see Dr. Kirby because he burned his hand. She and she's like, "Do you have insurance?" And he's like, "No." And so she charges him twenty five dollars for the office visit and ten dollars for supplies. I cannot believe that. I was like, twenty five without insurance, like <laughs> it's nineteen ninety seven on an island. Yeah. Anyway, those are just things I wanted to make sure we talked about: is the coffee, the cappuccinos, the twenty five dollar doctor visit, and Nathan owning three computers and bragging about it. So. After telling Kirby about her mental health issues, she gives in and she tells the rest of her family about her stalker. She tells them about the photos and shows them the photos that she saved. She mentions that she swore she saw a photo of their mother in there. And everyone is very sympathetic about it, except for the fact that she didn't tell the cops about her stalker. And everyone's really mad about that so they decide to like take her to the mainland and report it to the police in savannah and they don't tell brian yet though so when they're all late for breakfast brian is really pissed at them and then later they fill him in on why they were at the mainland and he's pissed also that she didn't tell them and felt like she had to keep it a secret and didn't tell the cops but they work it out But while they're mad at each other and Joe like stalks away to go to Nathan's to have sex with him, uh, we meet Susan Peters, who is a vacationer on the island and uh, has had a fight with her husband and has walked out to the beach to cool off from her fight and think about the house she's trying to convince her husband to buy. And she, of course, meets an untimely end with our killer. And the next day, much like Ginny's search, except more so because people are actually surprised that this woman is missing and are concerned about it. They do a whole search of the island and they cannot find Susan Peters. Yeah. Joe even kind of takes some of her, her mommy baggage onto Susan Peters. I remember her. She was like, she was like, she's gone off just to make her husband like be upset and then she'll come back and he'll buy her a house. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of like, it's the same thing as my mother and like, what a like cheating whore. That's probably why they fought like, very intense. There's so much of that in this book, you can tell like, none of the Hathaways have moved on from their mother's abandonment. So much so that like, when Gif, who is 
upset that his cousin is missing still and no one's taking it seriously, he goes up to Sanctuary and asks if he can print off these flyers, like missing person flyers, and asks his friend Brian, who he's known his entire life, to help. And Brian is like, that reminds me too much of my mom and that's a no for me. And it's like, dude, that yeah. was 20 years ago and your friend right now, is like this is an active missing person case. Like, put yourself aside and help your friend. And Brian is like, nah. It's because all they've gotten for their mental health for the last 20 years is simply fresh air and walks. Yep. These people needed a family therapist like so badly, but that just wasn't widely available in the 90s. Yeah. Especially not on this island. It only has Dr. Kirby. And no, not a police force to like at all. Yeah. On this island. It's crazy to me. What a missed opportunity in a character. Like the one time (laughs) Nora decides like, nah, not going to have any sort of, we're going to be small town romantic suspense but no cops at all uh so just to wrap up uh the rest of the plot fairly succinctly after nathan and joe have sex this particular time nathan feels like he needs to go away for a little while and joe's heartbroken over this he's gone for like several days does not call does not do anything just said he has some business that he needs to take care of on the mainland leaves while she's asleep and because they have found the body of the two of them in particular found losers in the river and had to like physically pull it out of the river and is very traumatizing and they spent the night together at sanctuary and when joe wakes up nathan's gone and we find out that he has gone to get his head checked out because he knows that susan peters was killed in the same manner as annabelle and he's afraid that maybe he has been doing the murders like while blacked out or something. And the doctor's like, no, like you're, you're normal. And he needs to accept the fact that like, he's not the murderer, but like maybe his brother whose body he never saw and went a little wild after they discovered these papers in their father's possession, detailing the murder of Annabelle has something to do with it. So he does head back towards the island, but there is a hurricane incoming. And now of course, Joe absolutely does not want to see him, but he explains why he left that it is because his father killed her mother. She's furious about it, furious at him, like furious about the whole thing. And then kind of like calms down and is like, all right, well, like, but you didn't kill her. So that's fine. But we do have to tell my family. (laughs) Yeah, I, so, you know, Emily and I read this, I mean, not terribly long ago again. And even when I was reading it this time, I like was talking to Emily. I was like, Emily, he tells her this so late. Like I still, I still blocked that it's like, the book's almost over before he's like, oh, by the way, I got this, like, big secret that my dad killed your mom. And uh, I just, like, I can't believe it every time. It's fucking wild. Yeah. And, like, they've already had sex. And he's already taken nude photos of her that she didn't want him to take, which is bad Ugh. generally. And then bad specifically because of this whole thing that he, that he knows that she doesn't know. Yeah. Yeah. That scene was also gross. A lot of gross. <laughs> So they he they tell the family, the family's all really pissed at him, but this hurricane is incoming and it's going to be much larger. At first they think it's not going to hit the island at all, but then it turns out it's headed right towards the island. So everyone, including Nathan, has to chip in to get all the tourists off the island, to batten down the hatches, as it were, secure the campground, all of this stuff. And while all of this is happening, the killer is still on the island and first... 
shoots Brian, then clobbers Nathan upside the head and leaves him for dead near the river where like the water is going to rise and probably drown him. And then goes to get Joe so that he can create his ultimate murder masterpiece. Kirby and, and Giff find Brian and bring him back to Sanctuary to nurse him back to health. And the power goes out and Kyle, the murderer, shows up and Joe like leads him away from the house so that he won't hurt anyone else in her family anymore. Nathan also shows up. I can't even remember. They kill him eventually. Like so fast, the way that that kind of goes down because he it's real abrupt. Kyle is like villain monologuing to Joe a little bit, but not a ton because we've been in his head this whole time. So we don't really need the villain monologue monologue. Then Nathan shows up and Kyle is so he's like, you're not going to hurt me. I'm your brother. And Nathan's basically like, you're dead. You're already dead. You've been dead. I am I've, like, yeah. And he then he shoots him and he's dead for real, for real. But I like and like in Nathan's mind. He's like, you are already dead. But this this one was such a change. Like you go from Joe being like in life threatening danger with Kyle to Nathan shooting his brother. And then literally like the next scene is Nathan and Joe walking through her family garden. Yeah. Being like, oh, yeah. we will rebuild. Yeah. The, um, the roots are strong and not diseased and we can, you know, like flourish those. I think it's referring to Nathan being like, just because you had these two bad seeds in your family doesn't mean you're rotten. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. So there was a part of this story that really stuck out to me on this reread that I wanted to mention. Sam, as we've mentioned, the dad, has been a horrible dad for this whole book to the girls, which he just kind of like dismisses them, but to Brian, who he's like, is my son gay because he likes to bake? And then when Brian gets shot and Kirby is about to do like emergency surgery on him, she's kind of like panicking a little bit and freaking out. And they're like, what is his blood type? And Sam steps in and knows his blood type. He's like, just like me. And so they do like a direct like blood transfusion where Sam is sitting there like directly giving blood to his son. It's very Dracula. It is. And I think also supposed to be like a like, you're the blood of my blood and I would, you know, like give life to you in this way. So it was like Sam reconnecting to his son and maybe his whole family. But it was just, it was a very strange moment of like, can Sam redeem himself with this one act of giving blood is what it felt like Nora was trying to do. But it felt like, no, you got a lot more to make up for, sir. Yes. Yeah. They they did have a few other sort of hesitant conversations earlier, mm-hmm. but overall, more more to be done. Definitely still need – I would highly recommend some family therapy for these folks. Yes. And yeah. not from Kirby. Not from <laughs> – no, they need, an, they need to go to the mainland for more that. More than yeah. fresh air. More than fresh air. More than yeah. fresh air and good sex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anything else we want to shout out before we move on to dramatic readings? Like, I liked, actually, there's a part where Kate, Joe, and Lexi go to the mainland and have a little shopping montage. And I feel like Nora loves to do this and, like, have kind of a tomboy character who's, you know, hot. And then she gets to take off her glasses and her other friends are like, yeah, you just need some lipstick, girl. Um, Which is fun. Lexi, like, gives Joe a makeover at one point. And it was supposed to be, like, showing them bonding of, like, it definitely gave me, like, 10 things I hate about you. Like, the super, like girly girly younger sister is connecting with her older sister who has like been disconnected from her sexuality and her looks for so long 
uh, because of drama with their mother. Oh my gosh, it is just like 10 Things I Hate About You. <laughs> it's, um, sh- it's all Shakespearean. It's all Shakespeare. That's what it all breaks down to. And she- Nora, by the way, does have uh, Shakespearean uh, quotes for uh, some of the the section um, epigraphs. She does, so. yes. She also has a Solomon one. Yep. Which is the one I read right before we started this. It's very prestigious. <laughs> anyway, again, like I I didn't love this book, but I, I still do think Nora's great at like writing characters, um, even am- amidst the 90s of it all. Like I did. And, you know, I like the sisters getting to come back together and like make up. You know, I, I liked a lot of the platonic relationships in this more, I think, than I liked the, the, the three and a half couples. Mm-hmm. I also think the setting on this one was so important to the story. The setting of Lost Desire, which is, you know, like Sam is this man who's wandering this Lost Desire island who, once his wife is gone, loses desire for like anything in life. And the fact that the Delaney family back in the day stayed at Little Desire, the cabin, and Mm -hmm. the dad, David, had this like this idea of what he wanted to create with this one image. And it was this little desire that he had that he did. And then he was able to live off that satisfaction, apparently, for the next 20 years. Yep. <laughs> uh, this house sanctuary, a sanctuary for all the Hathaways that, you know, like it kind of protected them-esque from things once stuff got started on the island. I don't even know. The names were very spot on for me. Yeah. And the setting of this, like, um, it was almost like a locked room mystery where once the hurricane comes in, they're cut off from the mainland and they are all just stuck on this island with this murderer that they're just kind of figuring out who it is. Yeah. I think like thinking about the question of, is this a romance or is this just like a thriller? I feel like if there was just one of the three romances, it would have maybe been more romancy. If all of the development that was of all of the pages in the book that were dedicated to romance instead of being spread over three were just given to one couple. I think that that would have allowed for more development to reach the place where it would be, it would give the couples more time together and, and be more romancy. But in the end, I think because that is split over the three couples, it ends up that it reads like more like a thriller with like three little like romantic side plots. Three and a half. Um, but yes, I agree. Three and a half. I, I also think that um, if we're talking about like our main couple is Joe and Nathan, the fact that Nathan kept this huge secret, like he arrived on the island knowing this huge secret about that had like destroyed Joe's family. And he kept it from Joe and also from his like kind of becoming his best friend, Brian. And so he kept this huge secret from them, which makes it hard to believe in their love story because yeah. you know this huge thing is hanging over their head. And it feels like the entire – every time he interacts with her, all of that is kind of like tainted by the fact that he is keeping this huge life-changing, life-altering secret from her. Yeah. I would agree with that. Well, let's move on to our dramatic readings. And uh, for our first one, I will be Brian and Emily will be Kirby. And this is from relatively early on. I think one of the first times when a non-Joe character has felt the presence of the stalker and it's uh, Kirby has, has felt that she was being watched on the beach and she ran away from feeling watched. And so here we are. I got spooked. She managed and clung like a bird. It was just kids. I'm sure it was just kids. It felt like I was being stalked, hunted. It was just kids. It spooked me. It's all right now. Catch your breath. She was so small, he thought. Delicate back, 
tiny waist, silky hair. Hardly aware of it, he gathered her closer. It was odd that she should fit against him so well and at the same time seem fragile enough for him to pick up and tuck safely in his pocket. Christ, she smelled good. He lowered his cheek to the top of her head for a moment, indulged in the scent and texture of her hair as he slowly stroked the tension out of her neck. I don't know why I panicked that way. I never panic. And because the sensation was subsiding, she became gradually aware that he was holding her, very close, that his hands were moving over her, very smoothly. His lips were in her hair, very softly. Her slowing heart rate kicked up again, but this time it had nothing to do with panic. Brian, she murmured it, ran her hands up his back as she lifted her head. You're all right now. You're okay. And before he knew what he was doing, his mouth was on hers. And then now we are, as readers, going to do a little dot, dot, dot and skip over like a pretty long description of this kiss to get into some of the bonkers gender dynamics of this book. Um, Because abruptly, like, they're just kissing. It's great. Da, da, da. And then suddenly he's mad about it. He's disgusted with them both. (laughs) Yes. That's what you wanted, wasn't it? You went to a lot of trouble to prove I'm as weak as the next guy. Colors were still swimming in her head. What? She blinked to clear her vision. What? The damsel in distress routine worked. Score one for your side. She came back to earth with a thud. His eyes were as hard and hot as his mouth had been, but with passion of a different sort. When his words and the meaning behind them registered, her own widened with shocked indignation. Do you honestly believe I staged this? Made a fool of myself just so you'd kiss me? You arrogant, conceited, self-important son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and just, I feel like every couple has multiple of these kinds of, like, male, female, like, emotions, trickery, blah, 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 fights that are so, like, what? Her, her last line in that, like, after she calls him a son of a bitch, it's like, insulted to the core, she shoved him away. I don't have any routine, and I'm not now, nor will I ever be a damsel of any sort. And furthermore, kissing you is not a major goal in my life. Take that, yeah. Brian. Yeah. Yeah. I know. When did, when did men are from Mars, women are from Venus come out? Is that what we're fighting <laughs> in? <laughs> because uh, we have read that. I feel like it was the 90s. Like, yeah. we're definitely in that era. Yeah. Why don't you guys do the next dramatic reading and I will look up when that book was published. (laughs) All right. Um, We are going to take a little look into Lexi and Gif's romance post Ginny's disappearance. So I am going to read for Gif and I think every time now. (laughs) He's going to read for Lexi. All right. And I will be Lexi who is upset. All right. Sorry, before you get into it, uh, men are from Mars, women are from Venus, 1992. Okay. So these characters definitely had time to read it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Just a day, Gif. She crouched down next to him, letting all her charm slide into her voice as she kissed his cheek. Just a few hours, we can take your boat over to the mainland, have a nice lunch in Savannah. Lex, I just can't spare the time. Now, if I can get this done, we can go next Saturday. I can juggle some things around and we can take the whole weekend if you want. I don't want to go Saturday. Her voice lost its purr and edged toward mulish. I want to go now. Gif had a five-year-old cousin who was just as insistent on having her way and having it now. But he didn't think Lexi would appreciate the comparison. I can't go now, he said patiently. You can take the boat if you're so antsy to get gone and do some shopping. By myself? (laughs) 
Take your sister. Take a friend. I can't think of anyone I less want to spend the day with than Joe. And I don't have any friends. Jenny's gone. He didn't need to see the tears flood her eyes to know that was the root of the problem and the greatest source of her newest discontent. There was nothing he could do about it, just as there was nothing he could do about the raw spot on his own heart since Ginny's disappearance. If you want me to go, you'll have to wait till Saturday. I'll get the weekend clear. We can book a hotel room and I'll take you out for a fancy dinner. You don't understand anything. She thumped a fist on his shoulder as she sprang to her feet. Saturday's not today, and I'll go crazy if I don't get away from here. Why won't you make time for me? Why won't you just make the time? I'm doing my best. Even his patience could wear thin. Giff picked up the nail gun and shot a bolt home. You can't even stop working and pay attention for five minutes. You just shuffle me in between jobs, and now a stupid porch is more important than being with me. I gave my word on the porch. He rose and, hefting a new board, laid it across the sawhorse to measure. I keep my word, Lexi. You still want to go to Savannah on the weekend? I'll take you. It's the best I can do. It's not good enough. She jerked her chin up. And I'm sure I won't have any trouble finding someone who'd be happy to take me today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You go that jealousy route. Yeah. And, like, you know, obviously there is some, like, unprocessed grief and trauma prompting this, but it just – I don't love it. <laughs> it It's so – I think that is one thing. Like, I, I'm happy that Lexi is so – kind of in touch with her own and empowered by her own um, charms and sexuality and all of that stuff. But she does tend to use it as a manipulation tactic, which I find very distasteful. Mm -hmm. Speaking of, I just flipped to our next reading and right before the part where we're starting, Joe says, Lexi, you're a manipulative and materialistic woman. And Lexi says, I'm proud of it, honey. (laughs) So (laughs) like she does know. Um, She's but self-aware, our, yeah. She's, yeah. Uh, some degree of self-awareness anyway. So our last dramatic reading, when we were picking these out, we were like, well, we have to do at least one time when a man simply picks up a woman and carries her to a different location because that is happening constantly. Like, these delicate women are so portable and these men are so strong. Well, I mean, when the, the fattest woman in this book is 142 pounds, if these dudes can't lift them, then there's something wrong. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's what sam yeah. would say anyway for sure yes yeah <laughs> too many, they're making too many cakes exactly yeah <laughs> bunch of meringue makers <laughs> uh that feels like it could be a slur but <laughs> <laughs> it totally does uh but it's it's not yet <laughs> yeah let me google that real quick uh anyway for our final dramatic reading Heidi will portray Lexi and Kate will portray Brian as they have a little minor uh, thing to do here. But mostly it will be about Emily as Joe getting picked up by Nathan, who is me. When she heard the footsteps, she turned toward the door, prepared to hear Lexi's report. When Nathan filled the doorway, his temper shot it straight into hers. I need you to come with me. His voice was clipped and anything but apologetic. I believe you were informed I'm busy, and you haven't been invited into this room. Save it, Scarlet. He grabbed her hand and pulled. When her free one reared back, whipped forward, and cracked hard against his face, he narrowed his eyes and nodded. Fine, we'll do it the hard way. 
The room turned upside down so rapidly she didn't even get out, the curse burning on her tongue. He was halfway out of the room with her slung over his shoulder before she got past the shock enough to fight. Get your goddamn belly-crawling Yankee bastard hands off me. She punched at his back, furious that she couldn't manage a full swing. You think you can send your sister to brush me off in a pig's eye? He shoved open the door with his shoulder and started down the narrow stairway. I've been traveling the whole fucking day to get here, and you'll have the courtesy to listen to what I need to say. Courtesy. Courtesy. What does a snake oil New York hotshot know about courtesy? In the confines of the hallway, her struggles only resulted in her wrapping her head against the wall. I hate you. Her ears rang from both the blow and the humiliation. I've prepared myself for that. Grim and determined, he hauled her into the kitchen. Both Lexi and Brian froze and gaped. Excuse me, he said shortly, and carried her outside while she left a trail of threats and curses behind them. Oh, Lexi sighed long and deep, holding a hand to her heart. Wasn't that the most romantic thing you've ever seen in your life? Shit. Brian set down the pie he'd taken out of the oven. She'll rip his face off first chance she gets. A lot you know about romance. Lexi leaned against the counter. $20 says he's got her in bed fully willing within an hour. Brian heard Joe scream out something about castrating a certain Yankee son of a bitch and nodded. You're on, darling. <sighs> See, again, like, I'm grumpy about this book because I had liked, especially because I like Nightwork so much, but like, there's there's some humor in it. Like, there's moments. Like, I did like the, the Brian and Lexi bet. Not so much Joe getting dragged down the stairs, but whatever. I do think, for me, the shining part of this story is the growing closeness between the siblings. Uh, that yes. they're kind of reconnected with each other and learning that they can trust each other emotionally. Because um, all of the Hathaways have, have all these barriers up from their mother's abandonment, um, mother-wife abandonment. And so getting to see them reconnect was a shining part of this story. For sure. All right. Well, that's said, let's move on to Reader's Advisory and suggest some books to read instead of or in addition to Sanctuary. And I mean, again, I can't say it enough. This book is from 1997. I do think fresher Nora Roberts novels are still a great choice. But for me, what was really bumming me out the most about this was the body shaming and the like very bird boned heroines. And so it really made me appreciate some more recent romance novels I've read that do have like sexy, fat love interests. For example, The Wedding Date by Jasmine Guillory. And also, I most or all of Jasmine Guillory's books feature that. Um, if the Shoe Fits by Julie Murphy. Get a Life, Chloe Brown by Talia Hibbert. And, of course, Season of Love by Helena Greer, friend of the show. Mm, I, I love Get a Life, Chloe Brown. And the one, there's two more about her sisters. All great. Um, one that popped into my head, Emily and I both recently listened to this. This goes more in the side of if you like a little, you know, if you like the murder mystery part, but you also like some found family mixed in and it's Vera Wong's unsolicited advice for murderers. That is just, it's a really, really good listen. So definitely recommend that. And then if you kind of enjoy Nora trying to squeeze three romances into (laughs) a, a murder mystery, then the three fates is like Emily and I's absolute favorite. It's the early 2000s. So I think some women may still be being carried bodily about at times, but Emily and I still love that one. And there's, there's not a lot of, um, 
body diversity in that one. No. So, I mean, it is still a product of its time, but it has a really wonderful historical mystery that's going on. Um, If you're looking more for like a um, more of that like kind of locked in mystery, like murder mystery, The Guest List by Lucy Foley uh, takes place on an island where people get cut off due to a storm. Um, It's taking place at a wedding. The good news about this one is the person who's murdered is not someone you like. But that is good. The suspect list is full of people you don't like, and it takes a while for you to figure out who is the one who is murdered. Um, but mm. it's a it's a pretty interesting whodunit. It's set on an Irish island. Um, so if you listen to the audiobook, great accents. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll have all these and maybe some other ones up on our website, worstbestsellers.com. I want to play a quick uh, round of... Would you rather? We don't really have time, but I want to. So, (laughs) would you rather have mermaid eyes, which is what Kirby has, or sea witch eyes, which is what Miranda from Nightwork has? Um, I would rather have sea witch eyes because I do feel like being a sea witch gives you better powers. Sorry, Ariel. Yeah, I agree. I feel like sea witch, I feel both sexy and powerful. And so I think I like that. Same, Sea Witch, more powerful, and I want to be able to threaten people with just my eyes. See, and that's the difference between Nora of the 90s and Nora of the 2020s. It's the mm. mermaid to Sea Witch glow up. And <laughs> same, Sea Witch, for sure, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. How about would you rather have your close friend give you a gyno exam or have to be a waitress for a busy breakfast shift when you are not a waitress, but instead are a photographer with bird bones, which is, we didn't really talk about it, but Joe has to do that one time and she's real bad at it. Weaponized incompetence. <laughs> I'd have to go waitress. I, I, I love you, Emily, but I just know I can't. <laughs> yeah. I think if my, if my close friend was a doctor, I would go for that one. If it's just one of my okay, random yes. if you're friends. No. Okay. I'm not. <laughs> It, definitely, your friend is a professional, competent professional, able to give you a good exam, but is your close friend. I Then I'm, I'll go with that one. That's fine. I don't care. I was going to say, this is going to be really awkward because I also choose the, the have your f- close friend give you a gynecological exam, but I was reading it as if your friend was a doctor, not like, I wouldn't make Heidi do it. <laughs> yeah. No, this imagines a world where your close friend is, is a, a doctor who's licensed and able to do this. And it's like, a gyno exam is going to be like, what, 15 minutes? It's Max. Yeah, like, I still can't. I, I so guess quick. I'm an outlier on this one. I, just I, I can live in denial. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm same. I and I've always said I would be a terrible waitress. I would hate to have that job, but I would for um I would rather do that. I don't know. I'm just. I think I just have some like prude energy, and I'm just like <laughs> I don't want that. I I can be very prudish at times, but I also want to avoid customer service situations. <laughs> and um and where I'd have to like lift heavy dishes at all costs. I would do a lot more than have a close friend give me a gynecological exam to avoid being a waitress during a busy breakfast shift. So. Same. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I'll I'll bring you guys some coffee after your exams. <laughs> uh, I'll I'll probably spill it, but I'll try. Uh, okay. And speaking of which, of course, would you rather? Have a meringue maker make you a pie or eat at Steaks and Cakes, which is, of course, the fictional restaurant from Christian Mingle, the movie that only serves whole steaks and whole cakes. 
Well, I am like very curious about Brian's uh, aptitude in the kitchen because all the stuff that he makes does sound delicious. I will, of course, be getting a table at Steaks and Cakes and having a steak and a cake. I mean, say just a cake for me. Uh, I, you know, I love the strong family values promoted by Steaks and Cakes. <laughs> <laughs> I would also choose steaks and cakes. Um, I'm not a super huge fan of meringue. Sorry, Brian. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I'd have to go. You know, just, just cake. I, I don't eat steak, but you know, I'll take a whole cake for sure. I do love, like, I do love lemon meringue pie a lot, but I do have to, you know, be loyal to the brand. So I like lemon pie, but the meringue, there's just, it's a texture issue. Mm, I'm sure fair. that he makes great meringue, but it's just not for me. Yeah, that's Brian fair. and I would never work out. <laughs> that's okay there's there's two other men to choose from <laughs> we um, have sam Can't that, yeah that's sam. true you you could choose sam i like a mostly unavailable older man <laughs> <laughs> oh you are in the right island uh, and now and it's also now time for the right game for that because it's time for the rock paper snicked where kate will say who Dwayne the rock johnson would be if you're in this book and i'll say who wolverine would be if you're in this book and Heidi and Emily can choose which most enhances the book, or they can choose paper, which is to leave the book as is. If Dwayne the Rock Johnson was in this book, he would also be vacationing on the island. And when Ginny disappears after the bonfire, he would be much more suspect uh, about her disappearance than it seems pretty much anyone else who lives on this island. Uh, he would do a much more thorough search of the area and spend a lot more time like looking into who the suspects would be and he would pretty quickly ping Kyle as being like real weird and help crack the case before anyone else could be murdered uh, or before the hurricane came it would sort of speed up a lot of the issues with Nathan and Joe Nathan would be compelled to confess a lot faster and uh, Kyle would be captured before Susan Peter's could be killed or Brian could be shot or Joe could be attacked. Similarly, uh, Wolverine would also, he'd be camping at the campground because he, you know, he loves a rustic environment and with his keen superhuman senses, I think he would hear the struggle between Ginny and Kyle and he would be able to, you know, come out of his little tent and save her before before she was killed and raped. Um, just, you know, cut it off real early. And then Kyle would be caught. Their indispensable fat friend would be oh. fine. Uh, <laughs> she would, you know... Continue live... to bring body diversity to this island for a yes. long more time. <laughs> yes. Live, live to eat another day. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, eventually... Well, actually, then the story, the secret would have to come out sooner because Kyle would be like caught and Nathan would be like, ah, there he is. There's my boy. So, yeah, I would it would really no longer be a murder mystery. It would be more of a more of a family secrets romance with well, with one past murder. Yeah. Right. Well, I don't think I've ever gone this route before and I hope it doesn't make me like heartless, but <laughs> I feel like I want to pick paper and it's not because you guys don't have like i mean you guys have like the efficiency like we're catching the killer but like i kind of want to see this like drama like play out in the book you know and i want to 
And I feel like it also helps the family work through their issues. But it does make me feel kind of heartless because we got to lose we got to lose some good women out there um, <laughs> to get there. All right. Yeah, sure. I'm putting on the record. Heidi hates women. Carry on. Good notes. Good notes. <laughs> so I feel like Kate's like a. Uh, uh, summary of the rock situation is basically the movie walking tall with yes. the rock yes. which respect it but i think i'm gonna go with wolverine on this one i feel like he would like be on this island so that he could be his like grumpy self-isolating like not in touch with his emotion self and then he would be like disgruntled that there were other men on this island who were trying to be more emotionally <laughs> repressed than he is and be like nah I can't have that. And that's what compels him to solve this before anything goes further. He's like, I can be the only emotionally constipated person here. Like, get your shit together, guys. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And then he could have he could have a beer with Sam. Yes. A domestic beer. Well, for Wolverine Canadian beer. Yes. (laughs) By the way, if you're wondering if there's a part where Sam sort of like side eyes um, Brian for drinking foreign beer. There is. There is. There is. (laughs) <laughs> all right well good game good game i feel like we're all winners here except for heidi who hates women well you know <laughs> sorry hl i'm sorry <sighs> all right um well now it's time for my cat's opinion it's time for duarte's corner my favorite let's part let's hear what he has to say <laughs> yeah succinct good points to the yeah. point, yeah. I mean, as ever, I think it would be great if there was a cat at the at the B and B, just like curled up on the window, vibing, getting some, you know, little treats from Brian's kitchen. Yeah, yeah and I I do think that he probably could have a Kyle goes down very quickly. I think that if there was a cat to spring onto Kyle when he entered sanctuary and scratch him in the face, it really would take him down for the count. So you're not wrong about that. Yeah, I do think, though, 99% of the time, Nora goes dog if there's an animal. And I also think if, like, Brian had a cat, it would just be, like, the nail in his gay coffin for his dad. (laughs) You're right. You're right. (laughs) That is so true because, as we know, all dogs are boys and all cats are girls. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that that is another bone that Dorte has to pick with Nora. Her blatant dog favoritism, but you know, look, Dorte, they can't, they can't all be a hundred percent perfect books. But thank you so much for reading it, Dorte, and for sharing your opinions. We appreciate you, Dorte. <laughs> Do any humans have any closing thoughts? I didn't hate this. It's no night work, but it's no night work <laughs> for a classic Nora. There are a lot of things that hit really well, but it is, once again, a product of its time. And I think the farther we get away from the 90s, the 90s are the new 80s. Um, when we yeah. go back and read those 90s books, I'm having a lot of the feels that I had when we were reading reading the 80s books a few years yeah. ago. Yeah. It's a different time, folks. Different time. <laughs> I don't know if my microphone picked it up, but Dorote just came to stand in the doorway and scream some more. And I think he's like, you. I, I don't think we really captured how strongly he feels that that B&B could have a cat. I, the lack and of cats is the most glaring problem with this book. I'm totally in Dorote's corner on this one. Yeah. Yeah. A dog could have helped too, but there were just, 
there were so many other characters. Like, they could barely remember that Ginny was around. I don't know if they would remember a pet, frankly. A cat would be more able to take care of themselves. And I think more, like, cats are just seem more sus. So a better investigator, maybe. Whoa, whoa. No, that they they are more sus of other people. Like, oh, they're, like, okay. suspicious yeah. of, like, they're side-eyeing, like, all of the time. That so, is true. That is true. Yeah. Much better investigators, I think. That is true. I was like, please don't profile my cat. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, although he has broken every human law. It's, it's that's his business. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Well, if you'd like to come talk to us online about, I don't know, what, um, what from the 90s you're glad to have left behind – and or weigh in if you think Meringue Maker is an anti-gay slur. <laughs> uh, we're on Facebook, Instagram, and Blue Sky at Worst Bestsellers, at worst bestsellers spelled normally. Um, we're still sort of nominally on Twitter at Worst Bestseller with no S, but it's we're trying to leave that place behind. And it's a so, dark place now. Yeah. So, I don't know, the S might be sort of buried in the sand on Lost Desire Island. <laughs> you can find us on Spotify, Amazon, Google, wherever you find your podcasts. And if you do find us there, you should take a moment to rate and review. When you rate and review, it moves us up on the charts and makes it easier for people to find us. If you don't rate and review, we will bodily lift you up and drag you to a computer and sit you down in front of your podcatcher of choice to write that review. And it's not going to be as sexy as you think it is. <laughs> we'll put you in, in front of one of your three computers that all have CAD on them. Yeah. <laughs> you can also find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash worst bestsellers. Patreon is a service where you provide a small monthly recurring donation that goes to us to do things like keep our equipment up to date and keep our website running. And in return, there are perks for you like postcards and stickers in the mail and a monthly bonus episode where we talk about what we've been into lately. We also have merch available that you can find by going to worstbestsellers.com and clicking on our merch store, where there are all sorts of designs from our podcast that you can wear on your body. And finally, we do have a Discord server as well, also linked from worstbestsellers.com, where you can chat with all of the other folks who are fans of the show about what books you're reading and what you're watching on TV and what your cats are up to and what you think the most casual pasta shape is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to just talk to me personally, I'm online at Renata Snacks. And if you want to talk to me personally, I'm on Instagram and Blue Sky at 14 Across. And Heidi and Emily, where can we find you and your lovely podcast? Yeah, so we are Romancing the Shelf, as we said. Um, you can find us wherever you listen to your podcast. If you want to scooch ahead from the 90s, we've been covering nora for the last four years and so we are now in the early 2010s we're about to start the in boonesboro trilogy so uh, hell yes Ooh. good times yes and so um come over there for that we're also on instagram under romancing the shelf and we also have a patreon and a website romancing the you guys are good at instagram whenever i see your posts i'm like damn i should be better at our instagram <laughs> and then i don't <laughs> it, it's been most it's fallen off a little bit through um the holiday craze but um mm. we're getting back into it so get ready folks yeah all right well Heidi and Emily thank you both so much for joining us yes. thank you for having thank us you.
And listeners, thank you for listening. And we'll be back in two weeks with a contemporary romance novel, Icebreaker by Hannah Grace. So get ready. (laughs) Until then. Bye. Bye. Anyway, and then we're back to like hurricane murder.